Hey guys, I am Zach Goldsmith, and this is my guy, Bibi Ben Bellick. Welcome French. to another episode of the Lender, Lender Lightning, Lightning Round. Round. Please don't do that. I apologize. I, that. I apologize. Very excited today to welcome Super Lender, my guy for years. We've been working with, he's my go-to guy when I want to get a loan approved and when I want to get it across the finish line. There's no one I go to more trusted source. This is the purpose of today's episode. What's his name? I like I can't remember. I just call him. <laughs> he's on speed dial. I call him Franchise. His name is Francesco Foja. Ben's been calling him Francisco. He's one of the great great lenders in the history of lending. There's never been a greater lender. Okay. And today's episode, we are going to grill him on all the questions you should be asking your lender when you want to buy a house. You probably are, and some you won't even know to ask. So with that, welcome to the show, my guy, Franchise. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate the opportunity of being here. <laughs> we did a whole bunch of coke before this. So, okay, let's just get right into it. Yeah. Your opinion only. Mm-hmm. Our interest rate's going to go down this year. We're not talking 10 basis points from week to week. No, I mean, rates have been coming down since March, and the Fed is predicting a mild recession uh, towards the end of this year, third and fourth quarter. So when that happens, I do think that rates are going to start dropping even more. And does that mean a point? Uh, possibly, yeah. Okay, so as much as you look a little nervous around a I'm point. I'm a little nervous around so a like point. So like around yeah. a point? Yeah, I think so. So five and a half lowest. I mean, we're rates, not going to hold you to this. Yeah, no, rates could go even further than, than five and a half. They can go into the fours. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, for certain banks, they're they're hovering mid fives right now. Right. OK, yeah. so. So in, in, in summary, and by the way, he's not an actor playing a lender. I know what they're thinking. <laughs> they're he like, is really I'm good trusting looking. this. He's a handsome fellow. Uh, so 2023 for you looks like rates on the downswing, yeah. Later to say, yes. Later. Third wow. and fourth quarter. That's what they're predicting again. So I think that the year is only going to get better. So there's still a lot of volatility in the mm-hmm. market, but there's still limited supply and there's a steady demand. I think that for the real estate community, if you have any buyers that are sitting on the fence, they better step up and get into the game now because when rates do come down, there's going to be a flood of buyers coming back into the market, mm. and then you're going to end up sitting in the back of the line. So okay, so even in you think in recession, just because of low supply and when rates go down, it will be competitive again and yeah. back to feeling like it was a few years ago. Yeah, there's still a lot of people making a lot of money in this in, in this city. Can you, Los ex- Angeles. can you explain how the federal rate or the fund rate affects mortgage rates? Yeah, well, the Fed funds rate is not directly tied to mortgages. Yeah. Okay, so the Fed funds rate is the overnight rate that banks charge each other to, to lend and borrow money. So when you hear that the Fed dropped rates a quarter of a point, that does not mean that Rates went down a quarter of a point. Mm-hmm. There's other factors in play, uh, economic growth, inflation, mm-hmm. geopolitical events. You have to take that all into consideration. But no, when the Fed says we dropped rates a quarter of a point, that does not mean rates went down a quarter of a point. Yeah, that's what baffles me sometimes. Yeah. And I try like you, people are so quick to jump on calling their clients. Hey, rates went down and their clients outsmart them. No, they didn't. And it's directly affected to the Fed. And it just there's so many moving parts. That's why we need you to kind of summarize it and figure this out for us. Wait, so okay, but by the way, you did mention a quarter of a point, 25 basis points. That was yesterday. Okay, so Wow. Is there check your day, boy? Is is there a number where like, okay, once we hit this number of the Fed fund rate moving up or down, that mortgage is affected, or maybe like below it it doesn't change. Like is twenty five like where it moves? 
you know what? Or a quarter not, of a point? There's not a direct correlation, mm-hmm. like I but said. But just generally. Generally, I can't say that. Oh, no, wow. There's just too many factors in play. Because I heard someone recently say, who I respect tremendously, who actually just walked by a few minutes ago, he said that usually once it's a 25-point or 25 base point move or a quarter of a point that we, on the fund rate, we see mortgage move. You want a better indication of where rates are going? You want to look at the 10-year treasury. Uh-huh. Okay? okay. So the 10-year treasury dropped since yesterday. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that means rates probably ticked down today. Mm-hmm. So even though rates, the Fed funds rate went up a quarter mm-hmm. yesterday, mortgage rates tick down today. Okay. So what you're saying is there's a direct relationship. If the 10-year treasury goes down, then mortgage rates are like, That's likely a better, indication. better indicator. Yeah. Let me ask you this then, because there's so much volatility day to day. If you identify a property and you want to lock in a rate, can that be adjusted over the course of your escrow as rates go up or down? Yeah. So mm. typically when you lock in a rate, you're basically tying up the money for the bank. Okay. It's like buying a stock. If rates tick down, there needs to be a big enough drop for the bank to say, okay, we mm-hmm. get it. You know, rates have dropped. We're willing to renegotiate your rate. But you can't just sit there and say, oh, wait, rates went down an eighth. I want a lower rate. Oh, wow. It's like buying a stock. They won't do it. Most banks won't, from my experience. No, they want to see a big enough drop. uh, Yeah, I'm guessing because if it goes up, you're not like, well, I want this. Yeah, Yeah, so there's a little bit of of risk aversion there. Okay, so for the people that are watching that don't quite understand, what is the difference between getting a fully amortized, like a 30-year fix versus an interest-only loan? Okay, a fully amortized loan is when you're paying principal and interest monthly, okay? Mm -hmm. You're paying down the loan. Interest-only is just Mm interest-only. An interest-only loan, uh, let's just say 6% on a million dollars, that monthly payment is five grand a month. A fully amortized payment at 6% is $59.95. There's a difference of $9.95. So the individual that would do an interest-only versus a fully amortized is typically someone that has at least 20 to 25% equity in their home that has very strong income. People think, oh yeah, let me get the interest-only loan, but banks don't just qualify you on that Mm interest-only payment. I know people say, hey, I'd like that interest-only loan, but they don't have the income. Remember that typically these interest-only loans are 10 years of interest-only. These are 30-year loans. That leaves you 20 years left to pay back that loan. Mm -hmm. So when you're qualifying for that loan, the bank has to say, okay, well, what if they only pay interest-only for the first 10 years? There's 20 years left for repayment. We need to qualify you on a 20-year repayment. And then secondly, the rate that they qualify is not the note rate that they're giving you. They need to take into consideration worst-case scenario, which is, okay, it's either a 5, 7, or 10-year fixed, which means after 5, 7, or 10 years, the loan goes from fixed to adjustable. We need to take into consideration worst case scenario, which is what if it adjusts? So instead of mm-hmm. the note rate of 6%, they may qualify you at 7.5% on a 20-year repayment. Yeah. So you better have strong income to qualify. Now, the kind of folk, folks that will do that kind of loan that I've seen, because I deal with a lot of financial planners, is they'll say, okay, my client is 50 years old, has a ton of equity in their home, and has not saved enough money for retirement. So they'll say, you know what? Maybe you want to refinance into an interest only since you have a ton of equity there, take that difference and put it in different buckets for retirement Mm -hmm. in tax advantage programs like IRAs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of folks that I'm seeing now that are doing interest only that have not saved enough money or business owners that say, you know what? I don't need to do a fully amortized loan. I can take that difference of 995, put it into my business and generate more than that 6% that I'm paying on that loan. Yeah. This is what I love about Francesco. Like for me, I have 
you don't have to wink afterwards. They get it. Okay. Such a fucking adult film star. Look at oh him. My God. Gorgeous fellow, Love right? Brother. Ben keeps getting closer. What I love about what you bring to the table is you care about the long-term success of your clients, kind of you. like we do. And so I see you on so many occasions. Why I keep referring you is because you advise people on these different programs, the different tracks based on their lives. Because I think to myself half the time, should I be amortizing this loan? Should it be interest only? Should I? And, and I think what you bring to the table is really helpful. What all lenders should do is really advising your clients for the long term based on their situations. Zach, it's important that you ask the client, what's your time horizon in this property? Exactly. How long do you plan on keeping this loan for? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the, the most people that, you know, the, their parents come from, it's like they get the advice from a different era and they're like 30 or 30 or 30. And like for me, I, I'm very payment centric, so mm-hmm. I want to bring, and I know I can't deduct the principal on my taxes, Correct. so I want to have an interest-only loan. I want to be as less tax exposed as I, I can be, and in a market like Los Angeles where it's it's very expensive, I want to have as much purchasing power as possible within the underwriting standards, and then I know I'm probably going to move in before it, th- this seven-year or 10-year interest-only matures into this now 20-year or 23-period to, to pay off the rest of the loan. The um, average homeowner refinances every seven to 10 years. And mm-hmm. for the agents out there that are building your book of business, you should stay in touch with your clients because the odds of them wanting to sell, mm-hmm. you know, you get a new car after three to four years, you're bored of the car. You end up having a, sure. a child, you end up getting divorced, getting yeah. married, whatever life. The, the life changes happen, you're going to end up wanting to move on up or as they start to retire, move on down. So should we buy right now at six and change? Percent, Absolutely. Or should we? Absolutely. Or should we? <laughs> Absolutely. Every, yeah. It's always Hold a, on. This yeah. is if we went, if we went back to when say, my, if we went back to when my parents moved here at the end of the seventies and interest rates were at 19%. Exactly. No, and you asked Francesco. Gonna, Absolutely. No, 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 no. Interest rates have averaged you're just, you're 6%. You're just so positive and optimistic. Interest rates have averaged yeah. 6% over the last 30 years. The national average is 6.125. I know, but you maniacs, I didn't get the second part okay, of the question out. Or should I wait until the end of the year when it's lower and when they're when everyone else is in it jumping into the game this well, is what he maybe said that transitional inventory period. is low enough now interest rates drop then you mm-hmm. are like your shit out of luck november buy it's in a it's in that little transitional period because no, 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 no. inventory's going now. up but on the, on that line of thought well, i'm pre-approved pal. let's yeah. say okay so you buy now at six and a quarter in at the end of the year, rates drop to five and a half. Is that the uh, time to refinance? What is the number? Well, you know, there's a saying 24 month break even. If oh. the difference in monthly payment, when you divide the closing cost by the difference in monthly payment and the difference is 24 months or less, then it makes sense to refinance. Mm-hmm. That's what I've always been told. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, um, the difference between six and a quarter and 4.75. Mm-hmm. I would I mean, you marry the home, you don't marry the rate. Mm-hmm. You marry the home, you don't marry the rate. Jump in the game now. And uh, I, I, my concern is when rates start to come down, we're going to start seeing a flood of people get back into the game. There's a lot of people on the fence. So there's a specific uh, algorithm for when you should it's not drop. An it's not an algorithm. It's very simple. It, it, it's, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to turn it into something else. There's a simple like, let's ask AI. mathematic. <laughs> there's a simple mathematic answer to whether or not you should refi based on if it drops one point, two points. That's what I was going to ask because right. I heard someone, a lender once say like, 
you should, if, cause a lot of people are saying, a lot of real estate agents are saying what you're saying right now is like, you, you know, marry the house, date you know, the rate. Right. And what the, what the lender was saying to me was like, it doesn't really make sense unless there's a 2% move on the, on the mortgage rate. Is that, is that not true? Well, for me, I asked the client, how long do you plan on being in this home for? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you plan on being in this home long term, oh, then you- do the break even and say, does that make sense for you? Mm-hmm. So I always ask people, what's your time horizon in this property? Does it make sense to refinance? Mm-hmm. You know, and if they say, well, look, you know, rates have dropped enough where I plan on being in this home for at least seven to 10 years. And if the break even is 24 months and you stand to save 150 bucks a month, is that enough for you? Sure. Doesn't move the needle. And I'm not the kind of guy that's going to push someone to refinance just to save them just a little bit yeah, of money. Sure. That's going to take them three to four years to break even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not sense. all it's not always necessarily the right move no, just because it, it, rates drop you get super excited and you have to pay fees on that also. Right, exactly. So you do the break even of what are the closing costs, mm-hmm. the difference in monthly payment mm-hmm. and then you do the break even. And if it makes sense, then you do, you do it. it. And if yeah. it doesn't make sense for you personally, then mm-hmm. you don't do it. Understood. What yeah. what is the idea an example of a rate drop if it we're at 6 and a quarter percent right now and people are waiting till it drops to 4 and 3 quarters. Like that monthly payment obviously is the difference the in losing the property. Mm-hmm. It depends on the loan amount. If is it a three hundred thousand dollar loan, you're going to stand to save what you know, whatever the amount is, eighty bucks. I don't know. It could be twenty bucks. I yeah, don't like know. for but me. But if it's a million dollar loan, yeah. there's a big enough difference. Yes. Yeah. I, I, when I buy, uh, ultimately this year, it's, I'm going to put fifteen percent down. So any refi will probably be more meaningful than someone who has twenty or twenty five percent equity or down payment, right? Um, that did like a recent a recent buy. So it's, right. it's definitely more meaningful for me. So there are ways that people can reduce their monthly payment um, in escrow. Let's talk about the two that we know about and then maybe any others that you know. So one, of course, please define a buy down Mm -hmm. uh, and what you think about them, Mm -hmm. which and and then the other thing is um, uh, like a client uh, loyalty Mm -hmm. buy down or, or rate drop. Right. So a buy down is when you pay a bank funds at closing. So you pay points. So you pay uh, a certain percentage of the loan amount up front. And the bank, so let, let me just give you an example. The bank gives you a couple different options. They say to you, okay, we're offering you 6% today. But if you pay us half a point, which is basically on a million dollar loan, that's five grand, mm-hmm. we're offering you 5.75%. So the question then is, what's the difference in monthly payment? So on mm-hmm. six per, uh, on at 6% on a million bucks of payments, 59.95 and a 5.8, a 5.75, the payment is 58.35. That's a difference of 165 bucks mm-hmm. a month. The cost is five grand. So you divide the $165 into the five grand. That break even is 30 months. Mm-hmm. So you say to yourself, okay, after 30 months, I'm going to save 165 bucks a month. How long am I going to keep this loan for? Yeah. Am I going to keep it for 30 years? Well, a 30 year loan is 360 months minus the 30, which is your break even, that's 330 months of saving $165 mm-hmm, a month. Mm-hmm. That's a $54,000 a month life savings. But yeah. most people aren't keeping these loans for yeah, 30 years. Yeah. So again, it has to make sense. Should I buy down the rate? How long am I, how long am I going to keep this loan for? Again, I got a pro tip for realtors after you talk about client loyalty yeah. rate reduction. So when I, by when the way, taking, that was like you were like a, a professor at MIT. On I crunch Coke. numbers for like daily. I, like I got such a they, number. Yeah, I get it. Listen, four hundred and sixteen dollars. Do you ever take micro analysis? It's fantastic. You ever micro machines? Listen, I have to be like that when I'm on the phone with people. 
Oh my God. I would have to replay this in <laughs> half speed. Yeah, I just told him the Italians are the new Jews. Uh, <laughs> right, here's what you do. You get the buy down, yeah. right? You got to lock it in at 5%. Say someone comes in with down for 50 bucks. What are you going to do with that money? <laughs> Wait, that. what? That's so funny. <laughs> I couldn't follow. So, but uh, anyway, also, I'll go back. You can, you can get a... Um, uh, you guys do you want me to do better, that over again? No, no, no. No, no, no. You can get gold. a better rate also for if you like move your retirement yes. over, right? Yeah, if you have... Okay, so when I'm taking an application, I always ask people, do you bank with us? And if not, are you willing to open up a relationship. And most times someone will say, absolutely. And if they bring over, you know, a sizable amount to a bank, mm-hmm. they're willing to reduce the rate. Yeah. It's important. You know, at the end of the day, banks want to reward mm-hmm. individuals who establish a banking relationship with them. I was a broker for 15 years. And a lot of times clients would say, well, I'm willing to move money over to the bank. Mm-hmm. And as a broker, I had no, yeah. I had no ability to do sure. so. So I wanted to move over to, over to the bank because clients like yours and Zach's have the ability to move money to a bank sure. and I want to be able to give as much as I can to individuals. Yeah. A- any, so, any other way to, aside from buy down and from client loyalty to bring the, to kind of buy your way more yeah, discount? I mean, if, if a seller's willing to, you, do you want to get into? Yeah, yeah. sure. If okay. So, I mean, for instance, uh, a seller says, oh, look, you know, uh, Ben and Zach, I want $1.2 million for my home. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, why don't we list it for 1.22? Let's take that difference of 20,000 mm-hmm. and let's offer it as a, uh, as a reward to a seller to, to buy, buyer. Or buyer, excuse me, uh, yeah, to buy our home. And we'll offer that as either a, a closing cost credit mm-hmm. or they can buy down the rate. But look guys, I mean, with rates going down by the end of this year, you know, there's all this talk of two, one buy downs. None of my clients are doing it because they're not going to keep the loan for sure. extended period of sure. time. You know what? Okay. I want to just give a quick pro tip, Zach, before you give your question. So as a real estate agent, right, you have a lot of commission that's built into a deal for anything that you are buying. So as the bank will limit the amount of closing costs or limit the amount of credits from the seller, which your commission is in the eyes of the bank to, um, to your closing costs, you can use a portion of your commission instead of making it taxable or having the brokerage taking money off the top and use that to buy down the rate too, particularly if you're really stretching. So, um, sadly some of the banks will like limit you to two eighths or three eighths or whatever it is on the buy down. I am a guy who's got money to buy a house. Okay. I want to put, I want to ask you, first of all, how much you should put down based on what you've got. That's a B is I've got some money with Citibank, City National Bank of America. Where do I go? How do I know? Do I go to that bank first? Do I go to a mortgage lender? Or a broker. Or a broker. How do I take advantage and get the best rate? How do I know what I'm doing? It's a really good question. So look, as I had mentioned, I was a broker for 15 years. And as a broker, I didn't have as competitive of a rate Mm -hmm. as a bank would. And brokers are great. I love brokers and I love being a broker. In this day and age, the benefit of being a broker really is being able to offer you more creative financing mm-hmm. than being able to go directly, working directly with a bank. Um, when you have a relationship with a bank, they're going to, they're going to, you know, basically want to keep you as a customer. They don't want another bank in your ear. They want to get all your business. Mm-hmm. So when you're discussing which bank to go to, I would call all of them and see where the rates are. Now, when it comes to when you don't have a relationship with a bank and you're willing to take your money from one bank and bring it to another, that new bank may say, wow, you know, thank you for bringing over X amount. We're going to give you this rate, which sometimes can be more than just your existing relationship rate with a B of A or whatever other mm-hmm. bank that you have a relationship with. So because they're trying to woo you over. They're trying to woo you over. Mm-hmm. So they'll give you more of an incentive. But then those banks will say, uh-uh-uh, 
we don't want you to leave us. We're willing to match that rate. So then the question is, who do you want to work with? Who do you do your, your daily checking with mm-hmm. for your auto debit? Mm-hmm. What's going to be more convenient for you? Mm-hmm. But then you also have to take into consideration what are their turn times? What is their what are yeah. their guidelines? Can you even qualify? Yes, that's the so tough part. Keep in mind that I've worked for some of these bigger banks that you've spoken about, and in this day and age, as an agent, you want to make sure that if you bring a deal to a lender, you're not going to have an issue at the eleventh hour. Yeah. Okay. So for me. I work for PNC Bank. Can I say mm-hmm. that on the show? Of course. No. Okay, I work for PNC Bank. And out of all the banks that I was interviewed with, and I could have worked for any bank, believe mm-hmm. me, PNC Bank had the most common sense underwriting where they'll look at a deal and say, okay, this makes sense. The rates are terrific. They have super high LTVs. I mean, there's, there's super Loan jumbo. to value. Loan to value, right? Mm-hmm. And in Los Angeles, it's all about jumbos. And mm-hmm. so I needed to work for a bank that had an appetite for, for jumbos. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, talk about service. You want to talk about turn times and you want to make sure that, you know, yeah, you're getting a, a good rate, but you want to make sure you can qualify. There's a lot of fear your clients that are buying, they have a lot of fear. They're not sure if they can qualify. So, you know, sometimes agents will say, go with a broker because they have access to all the banks. But guess what happens? Yeah, they'll get pre-approved and then they'll go to wire the funds into escrow. And then that bank will say, where are you going? You know, why are you wiring this money into escrow? Have you talked to us first? And then they're already in escrow and they say, we want to switch banks. And you as the agent will say, no, don't switch banks, please. We don't want any kind of delays. And guess what? You hope that that's, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So I had to find the happy medium, sure. and that's why I chose PNC. Yeah, yeah. If I want to buy an investment property, an mm. income-producing property, or a second home, a vacation home, how are those rates broken down? How do they how change? Are they different? How are they different? Yeah. How are they different? So, so typically, let's just say a primary residence, the bank's quoting you 6%. What I've seen is the difference between a primary residence and a second home mm-hmm. it may be an eighth or a quarter really? percent difference. That yeah. little? That's, yeah, that's it. And okay. this, when you say that's a second home, is that a that's vacation, vacation home? home? Wait, vacation hold on. Home. That's when you've seen in the last 12 months because everything's so in high? In general. Oh, no. in general. Yeah, because look, the risk of you defaulting on a second vacation home is less than an investment property. During 2008 and 2009, when the economy tanked, oh. people walked away from their investment properties and the banks lost billions of dollars. Second in line were the uh, uh, vacation homes and then obviously the primary, most people didn't walk away if they didn't have to. So it's a level of risk. And that's how these oh, banks price so it out. So the Delta is, is so much greater in the investment property correct. than the vacation. Not only with primary. rate, but with loan to value, you have to put down a lot more well, money. Why? Isn't the investment property subsidized by tenants you versus vacay? You would think that, but no, banks have lost billions of dollars and they want more skin in the game with with down payment on investment oh, with down properties payment. and their rates are higher. So how does the down payment differ from it's primary to vacation to investment? It's at least 25 for investment or or for vacation investment properties. Yeah. Yeah. You can get away with 20% down on second homes. I own a few of them and at the end of the day I, you know, wanted to make sure that I was getting the best deal and to to buy a vacation home most banks have a guideline that says you're going to spend at least four months out of the year there. Now, it does not need to be a concurrent four months. It needs to be throughout the year. So, for instance, you know, Palm Springs and, as you know, Miami. So I'm, I'm jumping around. But, you know, other than staying there with my friends and family, I do short-term rental. Mm-hmm. 
You know, so I have a question for you. This is maybe a little bit more predictive. So like when you look at the spread yield of all of the different loan products right now, it's pretty flat. Yeah, um, it is. So basically what I what that what I'm asking him is basically like if you look at the differences between a 30 year fix and these interest only loans, usually the difference or the variance between them, the less the more risk you take on, the better of a rate they're willing to give you, because when those shorter uh, interest only loans mature, then the bank comes back and and gets their risk averse, they get their risk back in. So, so do you think that right now that yield curve is so flat because of this kind of contagion of sorts that we're seeing with the regional size banks? And do you think at some point like it, cause like right now, a seven, <laughs> as an interest only loan <laughs> Sorry, is, is about the same as a 30 year fix. It's off by They're pretty close. Yeah. They're pretty close. Yeah. I would say, you know, about a quarter of a percent difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that we're not in an, a normal interest rate environment right now, and I think ultimately it's going to get back to that. And so you're going to start to see a wider spread between mm-hmm. the arms and the 30-year fix. I mean, look, when banks know that they're going to get paid back in five, seven, or ten years, they'll give you a better deal. Mm-hmm. They want their money back. They want to redeploy that money. Mm-hmm. If they know that you're going to lock up their money for 30 years, well, then you know, at the end of the day, they want to get paid a higher premium for that loan, mm-hmm. a higher premium, a higher rate for that loan. And do you mention that you have some investment properties? Do you find that we're in an environment now where like, cause I own a home in the desert, like where I maybe pull money out of this house to get the next thing? Or is that like the over leverage nightmare? You know what? Back in 2008, 2009, a lot of people lost their shirts because they over leveraged those homes and banks were just giving away money oh, okay. and then they lost it all. Nowadays, banks will not, will not allow you to super leverage your homes. Mm-hmm. But yes, if you have the income mm-hmm. to borrow that money, take that money and go buy other assets that you can generate income off of, mm-hmm. hard assets that you can depreciate and, mm-hmm. of course, consult your CPA and all that. Sure. But there are advantages to owning second homes, um, you know, financing them as second homes versus investment properties. But, of course, you have to spend time there. Look. I'll leave you with this. I don't want to look at a piece of paper and says, oh, I have money. I want to enjoy my money. I want to swim in that pool. I want to share it with my friends and family. So that's why I buy real estate. And, and second homes obviously have better financing uh, than an investment property. I have a friend of mine that owns a investment property in Northridge. And I asked her, I said, how's it going? She's like, ah, you know, I get a check every month. And, you know, she knows I have a house in Palm Springs. She's like, I wish I would have bought in Palm Springs where I can actually enjoy my money versus just an investment property. So when you're talking to your clients, ask them, you know, hey, are you interested in buying a second home? Let's talk to a lender about, you know, a vacation property and look at their guidelines and see if they'll allow you to finance it as a second home and also do short-term rental. Mm -hmm. So break down in 20 seconds, a primary an investment and a vacation home, what the difference you have to come down with. I mean, you can get on a primary residence. It depends on the purchase price, of course, but there are banks doing 90% financing right now. So 10% down on on a primary. Or even less. It depends on the, I mean, look, you can get away with putting 3% down, you know, but you know, typically no, not a jumbo. Which what's the cutoff right now? Seven, Uh, seven, seven, 26 and some change. I mean, then you have to pay, you have to pay mortgage insurance on that. If If you put down less than, 20%. 20%. Yeah. But there are some lenders that will build that into the rate. But, you know, look, there's there's conforming loans, 726 and some change. And then there's 
high balance conforming loans, which is one million eighty nine thousand and some change. And you know, look, for me, look, if the loan amount is above seven hundred and twenty six thousand dollars, I can price that as a jumbo loan, giving you jumbo rates, which have a lower default rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it all mm. depends on the loan amount. Yes. Um, OK, let's say a million payment, dollar loan. Your question. Yeah. Let's say a million. Do- I want to buy a million. Let's go to Northridge. I want to buy a fourplex in Northridge as an investment property. What am I putting down on a million dollar fourplex? Means five. You can get away with 95% financing or even 965 with an FHA. For an income-producing property? Yeah, but go to five units. It's different Five than units four. is a different animal. That's so what residential I mean. is one, one to four, four units. Well, one to four yeah. is a but different But five story. and above, that's a different animal. Yeah. I don't do, yeah. that's commercial financing. Okay. fine. And a lot of times they'll look at the actual cash flow, the cash yeah, sure. on those yeah, properties. What's the income? And that income is what will determine what your loan amount is. If it has great income, the bank says, oh, you have great income here. It's a great business. Mm-hmm. We'll give you more money. If it doesn't have the cash flow, then the bank says, no, sure, no, 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 no. Sure. You need to come up with more skin it's in the, the game. straight risk. Yeah. And then I want to buy a vacation property in Palm Springs for a million dollars. What do I put 20% down? 20% down. Can't get maybe away some, with 10. Maybe some lenders will do, no, not 10. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, but not with me. I don't think with 20% us. down. I did 20 on mine. Yeah. And it 20. closed in December of 2021, I think. I did 20. Uh, uh, let me but they check. offered me 15. I th- uh, but anyway, um, that was also a different time. Yeah, it's a different time. Um, do you have any other questions? That was information packed. Yeah, that was a lot of information. We're going to have to slow that down to half speed. But <laughs> like, we are going to post this again because what I What do you think mean we're going to post this? We post all of our episodes. I mean, I always want to post things afterwards, like post a breakdown of mm-hmm. these things. I want them to write you know, summary of things. We're going to summarize this. Guys, thank you for tuning in to an information-packed episode of To Live and Buy in Los Angeles. We did cover a lot very quickly. We encourage you to go back and listen again. There were a lot of pro tips in there for those of you that are looking to buy a primary residence that is below or above the uh, the conforming rate, also vacation homes and investments. Um, and if you have any other questions, um, be sure to post them and then we can forward them on to the franchise. You Francesco. just reach out to me and I will put you in touch with the franchise directly. <laughs> reach out to Zach. Guys, thank you again. I'm at Ben Bellack. This is at Zach Goldsmith24. And where can they find you? At Francesco769. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll delete that part out. But it was great having you. Very information packed. You didn't want to lend her on. I told you it was exciting and full of info. We greatly appreciate your time. We're out. Super VA. Oh, he took it now. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone.